On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Shachtan and Indo Askeliga. Time imon irukti yen of chakt erachor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder erachor inuik kiart len of winter thing. Skilti fis turmi. Tashi dochrecha nach vetoch ara igornamyan on kestin ekol. Vien talam aginam griv orkar nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. Today on the Indo Daily, are far-right and neo-Nazi groups behind the protests against asylum seekers. What's wrong with putting your own people forth in your own country? What's wrong with that? A wave of demonstrations against refugees have seen organisers use an agitation playbook similar to the tactics used by ultra-nationalist groups in North America and Europe. And the guards are now gathering intelligence about overseas links, um, particularly between extremist groups and some of the protests here in Ireland. But what's, I think, worrying and different about these protests is how they're particularly targeted. For instance, we're seeing um, politicians being targeted in their homes. Family homes up until now in Ireland have pretty much been off limits. I'm Fiannan Sheen, and today I talk to Ralph Regal, Southern Correspondent with the Irish Independent, and Ali Bracken, journalist with Sunday Independent, about the groups organising these protests and their wider agenda. Justin Barrett, who's the leader of the National Party, he was there and he just said he was he was here to support the people of Ballymun and that they didn't want these people in their community and they should get out, basically. And then as I was talking to him, his his members of his party, and they're young men in, in kind of tracksuits and, and faces covered with black scarves and black baseball hats, they stood in front of him and then in front of me to get me to move away. They were acting like bodyguards. Ralph Regal, the Gardaí are now taking a more active interest in the groups behind these protests. Uh, what 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 is their suspicion there, and and what are they what are they gathering in, on the, in the intelligence front? Yeah, well, I think what's interesting from the Garda point of view, as stressed by Commissioner Drew Harris, is that they've had a presence at all of these protests and demonstrations so far. In the background, and we are gathering information on individuals who, in the background, have a more sinister agenda and are wish to use this for uh, their own their um, their own motives. And their motives are not good. Their motives uh, could be described as being far right. And the guards have stressed that they have followed Garda directions, but the Garda are also aware of what they're calling a sinister background to all of this in a number of different facets. Number one, how these protests are being organised and coordinated. 
And in that element, they're focusing on social media platforms and how social media is being used to coordinate this campaign. Secondly, that we're talking about a very small group of individuals. And the commissioner himself said, look, he said, you can't really call these a group. He said, it's not really the fact we're talking about a very small number of individuals. And they are the ones that are trying to coordinate and organize all of this. And thirdly, and probably most concern from the Garda point of view, is the potential involvement of overseas groups in these protests. And what has prompted the guards to believe this is the fact that the developments that have happened in some of these protests are very much taken from an agitation playbook that's being used by far-right neo-Nazi groups all over the world um, in, in ways of trying to maximize the fallout from some of these protests to try and link in um, migration issues to existing social problems. In the case of Ireland, that's to do with the housing shortage and to a lesser extent, the pressure that's already on the health system. And thirdly, that these protests are effectively escalating and rolling out very much on a par or comparable to how similar protests have been rolled out, not just across Europe, but across North America. And the guards are now gathering intelligence about overseas links, um, particularly between extremist groups and some of the protests here in Ireland. So what's the kind of tactics that the guards are observing here that that leads them to believe that this is, as you say, an an agitation playbook uh, that's, that's, that's coming through? Yeah, it's it's a good question, Fanon. I mean, essentially what has happened is that these protests have involved a number of things that we've not really witnessed here in Ireland before. I mean, the right to protest is one of the the cornerstones of the democracy that we have, and we've seen it to the water charges um, campaigns, to various other social issues over the years. But what's, I think, worrying and different about these protests is how they're particularly targeted. For instance, we're seeing... Um, politicians being targeted in their homes. I mean, I don't think any politician has a problem with people protesting about them, but family homes up until now in Ireland have pretty much been off limits. And that was certainly one of the things that the commissioner focused in on is the fact that they're going to be meeting with um, you know, politicians that have had these protests outside their homes. In one particular case in Dublin, the man's family were left very shaken um, by the manner of the protest and policing strategies are going to be altered accordingly. And Ralph, Whose house was that? Yeah, that was a very specific reference to uh, Councillor Vincent Jackson, um, whose home was targeted um, as, a, as a kind of a fallout from those protests in Dublin last week. They came to my house at approximately quarter past six and they stayed for about 20, 25 minutes. Bored and they shouted obscenities. Uh, they, they said I was a traitor for letting them down. And uh, I've given 32 years service to the people of Ballyfermot as an independent. Just to think that people would believe a narrative that's totally incorrect really upsets me. And it, it's worth noting that uh, the Justice Minister, Simon Harris, went to great lengths to say how much he admired Councillor Jackson for his courage in some of the comments that he made about the fact that he had contributed so much to the community and the very fact that his family home should have been singled out and targeted by these individuals simply because he was trying to speak out in terms of the impact on the community of these um, protests and of the basis for them. But even beyond that, what we've seen is that community leaders 
um, have been targeted. Anyone who has spoken out against these protests, anyone that has tried to calm tensions, anyone that has tried to tackle what is a very, very slick and effective disinformation campaign. I mean, the Guardi effectively are saying that information has been weaponized in terms of these protests. Um, false claims about, say, the nature, the scale of migration, the impact of migration, the impact on local services, very much to the forefront of this, what is essentially a propaganda war. And another, I suppose, quite concerning development is the fact that, I mean, these protests have been very, very critical of the mainstream media here in Ireland. They've essentially accused mainstream broadcast and print outlets of not telling the full side of the story. And yet not being willing to engage themselves in terms of the actual facts. But what they've done is they've started to follow journalists to their cars. Um, License plate numbers of journalists have been taken. Essentially, it's a very, very subtle and insidious um, way of trying to intimidate people that are trying to put these protests in context. Yeah, so this is what you see happening in in Europe and North America. Probably some similarities there with with, with Trump campaign style uh, rallies as well. Yeah, that's exactly the point. I mean, very much what the commissioner said is that, you know, an international dimension to this is not exactly surprising. That's the way these things go, that there have been. We live in a, in a very, very small world thanks to social media. And you see that these groups seem to kind of tic-tac with each other. They swap strategies. They swap, um, you know, effective methods of, of handling and directing these protests. So if you look at, say, some of the protests that have happened in Germany, particularly, say, the far right, this is exactly the kind of thing that they do. And of course, North America, of course, a lot of those Trump campaigns have seen the involvement of these militia groups, effectively neo-Nazi groups have gotten involved. And it's all about intimidation and basically trying to target any individuals that challenge uh, your, um, you know, your message or your version of events. It was very interesting to note that both the Minister for Justice, Simon Harris, and the Commissioner himself both used the word sinister. They both referenced far-right groups. And I mean, the, the Guardi have said, look, it, it's our duty to investigate. I'm quoting the commissioner. He said that, look, we, we have to use all means to gather intelligence and information. That's exactly what we're doing. And quite pointedly, he said that social media platforms have been integral to all of this. And he said that if they need to further their investigation by going to the social media companies and and looking for information about specific individuals, about specific message boards or platforms carrying these far-right messages and involved in any way in coordinating or and organizing these protests, then they're prepared to do so. Yeah, and at the same time, he's basically saying the numbers of individuals who are involved in organizing these protests is quite small. So clearly, he's of the belief it's the same group of people or, or integrated groups of people that are traveling around the country going from... For my uh, to to Ballyfermot, yeah, very much so. And I, I mean, I, I live in North Cork, Fanon, as you know. And I mean, I was present at um, some of the protests. There have been two protests in Formoy. There was one counter protest, 
And what's interesting is that while there were a number of locals at these protests, the numbers were very small, about 50. And I would estimate that roughly half to two thirds of those individuals were not actually from the town. And there seems to be a lot of indications that these individuals are involved in protests in other places as well. So it is, it's indicative of a very coordinated, cohesive campaign by a small group of individuals to use social issues for their own ends and for their own political for their own political benefits. Ali Bracken, you were at one of the protests. Tell us what you observed and what was the general feeling? Yeah, Fiona, it was last Thursday evening in Ballymun and it was, I think it was one of nine protests held that evening. And Ballymun was, was the biggest of, of, of the lot. Um, and there was, I'd say, around 300 people had gathered and they... They began close by to the travel lodge where asylum seekers are housed and they were chanting and, and carrying banners and kind of uh, how's the Irish first style, a, a lot of the banners were saying. Then they got up to the M50 and they stood there and, and, and blocked it for, I think it was almost half an hour before they finally moved. And at one stage, there was a, a guard tried to appeal to some of the protesters and said, look, there's a there's a family here who are rushing to get, a, to get to a flight. Like, would you not move, lads? And they didn't. Uh, they did eventually. They did after half an hour. Who were the kind of people you were meeting at it? I'd say a half of the people, and there was about 300, I'd say half of them would have been local people from Ballymun. A lot of teenage boys and then kind of men in their kind of early 20s a huge amount of middle-aged women, actually, as well. There was a huge proportion of that, much more so than middle-aged men. Um, and, and women with, with buggies and, and young children. And then the other side of it was people who are not from the area whatsoever, who are you know, not from Dublin uh, in the vast majority of cases. And they were from political or so-called political parties. The Freedom Party were there. The National Party were there and the National Party would be a, a kind of prolific far right group in Ireland. And, and they've been heavily involved in in orchestrating a, some of these some of these protests. And, and they did a lot of kind of rabble rousing on the ground to, to get support from local people. Uh, they were the ones who were putting up posters and the Irish first. How's the Irish, not the world? this kind of language being used by them. And and this followed videos going up online showing, well, purporting to show uh, a busload of, of asylum seekers, men, uh, all men arriving at, at the travel lodge, kind of whipping up fear, I suppose, among, among local people that, as they call them, these military, military-aged, unvetted, men are kind of now in your in your town and there was locals then got upset there was no consultation but you know the reality is the people in the travel lodge the asylum seekers it's a huge amount of 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 women and children who are kind of terrified now to even to even leave that that premises because of some of the scenes that have that have happened some of these political parties they're traveling to towns they're putting up flyers they're talking to local people and then misinformation about people who are housed there. This is how public support is, is, is garnered in these, in these areas. Because I suppose a lot of local people do have concerns about housing, for example. Um, a lot of people obviously are, are on the housing list and, and awaiting, uh, awaiting somewhere to live. A lot of people feel their rent is astronomical because it is. There's this sense, there's this narrative of these people are coming in and getting everything handed to them on a plate. This isn't fair. 
let's get out there, let's protest. So I think some of these people, like they're weaponizing almost legitimate social issues. So we've had over, I think, 13,000 asylum seekers coming into Ireland in the, like last year, I think. I mean, that's on top of 70,000 Ukrainians. Like it's, it's a huge influx of people. Um, and and there's a real belief as well among among some people that like that they're not legitimate, that that it's that they're economic migrants. They're not really seeking international protection. Were there any particular leaders that you could identify at that protest that you could say that person is in charge of this or or these three or four people here are? Well, uh, Justin Barrett, who's the leader of the National Party, he was there and I, I spoke to him briefly. So he he'd be a very kind of well-known far-right figure in Ireland. Uh, and he was present with several members of the National Party and they were carried a big banner at the during the kind of march up to the roundabout. It was hard to tell if he was in charge or not, but there were certainly a couple of people going up and shaking his hand. He kind of stayed almost in the background. And I, I did speak to him and, and he just said he was he was here to support the people of Ballymun and that they didn't want these people in their community and they should get out, basically. And then as I was talking to him, his his members of his party and they're young men in, in kind of tracksuits and, and faces covered with black scarves and black baseball hats. They stood in front of him and then in front of me to get me to move away. They, were, they weren't interested in me talking to him any further. Uh, and then at one stage, just before all of that, um, he went to, to use the bathroom in a local super value. And he was like a, accompanied by by two of these young men and they stood outside the toilet while he used the facilities acting like bodyguards. It was bizarre, really. He was certainly a force there. It was obviously important for him to be at the biggest protest that day. And they, they were probably the most intimid- intimidatory of all the groups. You know, they're kind of taking pictures and just a little bit, you'd feel a little bit uncomfortable. Other groups that, that we're seeing now emerging, I mean, the National Party have, and Justin Barrett have been on the scene for quite some time, go back over referendum campaigns over the last 20, 25 years, and you'll, you'll see them figuring. Tell us about uh, Ireland first, who are they, what yeah, are they? Yeah, they're kind of the newest on the scene. So there, I think Derek Derek Bly is, is the leader there. He's based in Cork, and he was behind one of the, the rallies in Cork. And kind of similar to to other groups, it's this kind of patriotism, nationalism, Ireland for the Irish is the message. And he kind of, I think Derek would have become popular or well-known, I should say, um, during COVID, really. And and again, this anti-vax message, um, misinformation, attacks on complaining about foreigners and and them kind of being entitled to everything. So he's kind of been on the scene for a couple of years, really, but he's only recently set up this this group, Ireland First. And it's it's unknown really yet how how popular it is, but he would have a huge online presence. And like a, a lot of these groups, they put out these these videos on YouTube and TikTok. Some of them, you're talking hundreds of thousands of views. Like they have a, they have a massive reach. They really do. Um, and that's that's where they, where they do their business, really. And that's where they gather support. Do any of these groups have a uniform, armbands, anything that collectively identifies them as being from the one group? Sometimes the, the National Party, they generally often, at protests anyway, they generally wear black. Uh, and on some occasions, they wear black armbands. And they usually wear either black hats or baseball cap. And then their leader, Justin Barrett, 
he always wears a suit. He very much stands out among them. He certainly did on on, on Thursday evening, I felt. Uh, he's also a tiny man. He's about, I'd say he's about five foot, maybe five foot two. He's a man, I'd say, in, in his 50s. The, the young men who were with him on Thursday evening, they were young men, men in their early 20s, dressed kind of in this black attire, tracksuits, jeans, dark clothing and, and the hats and all of that. So just hugely at odds to to their leader. It was quite a contrast to see. What about the guard activity on, on, a, on a wider level? Is there surveillance of these of these groups? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I mean, in Ballymun, so there was the visible guard of presence, the lads in the uniforms, basically. But then there was a lot of undercover officers as well. And they'd be members of the SDU, essentially. That'd be the Special Detective Unit. And they'd be involved in, in monitoring all of these people who are potentially who are involved in the the far right and but who potentially wants to harass and intimidate you know commit crimes essentially linked to that so there's there'd be a huge amount then behind the scenes of monitoring these some of these people online they'd be watching who they'd be interacting with uh, like internationally so I think there's a a UK group um patriotic alternative and they're kind of a white nationalist group and they've been doing a lot of similar protests and there's a belief that there's a sharing of information about kind of protest tactics going on so there's a huge amount that the guards have to watch online and a lot of it's done on these kind of private telegram messaging sites did you feel intimidated while you were there in some ways it was i I didn't feel like violence was ever about to to erupt it was almost like it was simmering but but wasn't quite there the clothing of, of some of the people kind of the the all black gear faces covered it felt like you wouldn't want to meet them then on your own down an alleyway be you a man or a woman like it would have been to loads of protests over the years and this definitely would have been one that would have made you slightly uncomfortable my thanks to ali bracken and earlier ralph regal I'm Fiona Sheen, and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by Mary Carr, researched by JJ Clark, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from RTE, Virgin Media, News Talk, and Independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow, and leave us a review.